0: Welcome to Convo, a live stream podcast about the intersection of creativity, art, and new technologies. Each month, we bring you two episodes featuring compelling and knowledgeable guests who are at the forefront of these exciting fields. I'm your host, Mark Rodito. Let's dive into this episode. The theme for this season is 21st century creativity. Speaking of 21st century creativity. The person that comes to mind that exemplifies this, or an, an exemplary example, is our good friend Niche. She calls herself a boundless artist, a creative coder, and a valued Song Camp community member. And I'm very grateful to have her on the show today. So, everyone, please give Niche, aka Losing My Ego, a warm welcome
1: That's hi <laughs>
0: how are you feeling
1: how are you feeling i'm good i'm i'm chilling after you told me to go get a glass of wine during wine check, or sound check how wine check wine
0: check <laughs> well i got my heart seltzer right here so i am you know drinking with you also for people in the chats feel free to have your own favorite drink to to maybe loosen us up in this conversation. Nish, for people, I know that some, some of the people in the chat are our group of friends, but for people who are not familiar with you, can you please give us a brief
1: introduction of, of you and your work? Yeah. Hi, I'm Nish. I go by losing my ego and I am a designer, photographer, filmmaker, sometimes coder. I guess a writer, but not really, because I suck at it kind of. Um You are a writer. And I'm a writer. <laughs> and uh I am active in the Web3 space. Um also active in the non-web theory space. Um and right now I'm working as a freelance designer, but I also drop art. Mm-hmm. I feel things. And it's cool.
0: Yeah. Out of curiosity, why losing my ego? When I first saw your your uh your your handle, I was like, why why losing my ego?
1: So yeah, actually that's that's awesome. Uh so the I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago, I had a near-death experience and wow. it like sent me into disarray. I did the whole like I left the country, I went to Southeast Asia. I read all the Stoicism books, just kind of really took in a bunch of philosophy. I had a journal during that time. And it was when I came back home and I was just like reading through that journal. There was this like one little like footer, not footer, whatever a footer is when it's at the top of the page, um, line note that said something like, I think it said something like Using the ego as a utility rather than as a means of control. And then it just said, hashtag losing my ego. Like, I have no idea what I was thinking, but I wrote it. And then I was like, yo, I'm just going to roll with this because it feels pretty awesome. So that was that was where it started. Powerful. Yeah.
0: Powerful. I (laughs) love also that you mentioned about uh, and also like your interest in philosophy I think that's something that you and I both share, um, especially when you mentioned Stoicism. Um, So I'm curious, maybe this could be a tangent, but is it something that you still sort of actively maybe employ in your day-to-day, like the Stoic philosophy? You know, to me, if I could define it real quickly, Stoicism to me is knowing what you can control and what you cannot control and focusing only on things that you can control. Is that your definition too? absolutely oh. truly mm-hmm. it's it's cool <laughs> that you mentioned that so is this um well i was doing and I, well, well i was thinking oh who who is going to be on this podcast um, <laughs> and you know obviously we are a group of of talented folks and you know of course it's 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 uh, it's quite easy to choose like okay like who, like who 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 should come on this podcast i think at that time I randomly stumbled upon um a bookmark of, of your work, Doom, which was released uh around fall of last year, right? And, you know, I reread your essay on mirror, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? You know? And so <laughs> and so that was sort of like and obviously, you know, of course, you know, I went through the website, too, and, and saw all the NFTs and the releases that, that are attached to the Doom project. So, um, what is Doom or Doom generation?
1: Yeah, it's, um. so there's so many ways to attack it. Like, what is it esoterically? Like, what is it literally? Like, what it is literally is, as a person who has so many outlets for creativity. It was the first time I was ever able to just, well, not that I wasn't able to do this before, but it was the first time I found a way to do a project that that just like took care of like all my disciplines that I was into at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the fact of it being like in web theory, was really cool because that just happened because I knew there would be more receptive audience. Honestly, mm, totally,
0: yeah. I mean, it is it is a uh, a massive undertaking from my point of view. And you mentioned that you sort of like maybe, and maybe we could like unpack the 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 philosophy behind it or the the esoteric sort of like the message that that is embedded on the project. But you mentioned um, while I was doing research for the show, boundless creativity, because like my tendency is to call you a multidisciplinary artist, right? And then I I found somewhere, maybe in one of your documents, um, that you don't believe in multidisciplinary artists, but you see creativity as boundless, which is, I would say, maybe expression agnostic, you know? Um, So maybe can you speak more about that? Like, what is boundless creativity from your point of view?
1: I think... I think it has to do with the idea that we define ourselves as one thing or another just to make other people feel comfortable in receiving you that way. It's a simple, it can be as simple as that, but it's also like, I I read this term from a a designer who is a huge influence for me and he calls his design studio like a non-disciplinary studio, Mm. which I thought was so sick because it's the same thing. It's, it's the fact that there is no, discipline it's just who you are like I really feel like as we go on with time especially in the web 3 space like I I've never been accepted so well as somebody who can tackle many things um than I was like previously and in any endeavor I really did in web 2 everybody really they can hear you when you say hey I can do these things but to them if they're not just scared that you're, if you're a generalist, they're just scared that you're not good enough to be that one thing they want you for, mm. or also tandem, they they just don't know how to place you within like their predefined index of like ABC if you don't just say, hey, I'm this thing. So that shouldn't exist in my opinion, because like as the world just keeps merging and AI and all that crazy shit, like what is a creative and like, what is art? It's really just like self-expression and like, so why are we not just taking people as they are? Dude,
0: oh my God, there. That's there's a lot there. And so um, to me, boundless creativity is the, I, I would say the way that we express creativity in the 21st century, where we are afforded yeah. all of these tools, right? And we, and we can easily learn disciplines, you know, expressions, tools, you know, uh, to, to express ourselves. And so I, I, I think there's something very much uh, real that's the reality right now. Um, and I think what comes to mind for me, also another word, um, is uh, a hyper creator, which I believe Jack in the way, who is in the chat right now, um, has also sort of like floated, you know. Um, and so that, that's something that I really align with, you know, like, 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 like yourself, like I, I find it kind of like icky whenever I sort of like, I don't know, m- m- you know, like, like update my LinkedIn or whatever, or, or, or even make my website like the about sections, like people want to know what are you. And so, and you know, as much as like a lot, a lot of like my expressions are mostly maybe confined, not confined, but maybe a lot of my work has been in music um but i sort of like i don't know every time i tell or i write that oh i'm a musician i i it doesn't feel like it captures the whole you know and so yeah so even when i when i when i say okay what are you i'm an artist technologist and community builder you know but even with that it's sort of it's so confining you know what i'm saying yeah and so I believe that's sort of like what you're saying. It's like like creativity is boundless, artistry is boundless, and so, yeah, express yourself. Yeah, yeah,
1: express yourself. And also, like a thought I just had was also because as a creative, and all of us go through it, we we have issues trying to adhere to what we think people expect of us, and like everyone, like you know, if you are somebody who has multi disciplines that you you kind of like move between you sometimes have to like leave one because you're just not into it. And then you're like, you're into one other one. And that expectation from society to be defined as like a artist, sometimes I like, can fuck with you mm. and make you like insecure if you're leaving one of them behind, because say the one that you're not interested in is the one that makes you money right now. Mm. Um, or it's like the, the main one that makes you money. Like for me, that's design, right? That's the one I do work in. But like, if I feel like if you're focusing on photography and I feel like calling myself more of a photographer six months, then like in conversations, people will be like, oh, really? Like, because I thought you were a designer. And then you, you're scared. You're like, does that get rid of potential clients or something? It's like this whole messed up, just like, I think, embedded situation where it's like, people can only do one thing.
0: Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jack in the chat. Uh, Jack- uh, says that titles and labels can feel so clumsy. Web3 definitely shows me how impractical it can be to try to use them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think, and I think that, that that also what drew me to, uh, to, you know, our collective song count, you know, where um, even though, yes, most of my experience is in music and in art making, it's like, even though my day-to-day doesn't, look like me making music i i still feel like it's still on uh, the creative expression you know container building creating pro- programs um maybe content you know uh in- interfacing and engaging with the community i i feel like those are creative expressions fully there's a few quotes from mm-hmm. the mirror article um do, do you think it's a good time to maybe like talk about the essay that you've written and maybe we could unpack it together. I know that you've written this, you know, months ago. Um, but I would like to maybe like read like a few quote quotes that resonated with me. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, totally. Cool. We're going to revisit things together. We I'm gonna, going I'm to gonna revisit live.
0: together, yes. Oh, the embrace of our on-chain world is about building away from the lunatic fringe consumed by most people. Most people who we believe would never consider building a, an alternate universe. They call it digital anarchy. We call it the new tangible. We're driven by a desire to truly walk the earth, to walk out of the narrative in which we've been labeled mere cogs. Our desires for truth and autonomy are part of the causal chain that leads to a normal.
1: What does this mean? Um. So, and I, as I was like telling you earlier, the, the essay in itself is um, interesting to me because it was the attempt to pull together a bunch of erratic thoughts that all centered around the same feeling, but maybe like ev- every paragraph has like a different take on the way that I feel. So the whole thing is about, I think like, I started writing it in the beginning of 2021, like maybe spring of 2021 is like when I started it. And this is like when the feeling really came to me of like, it was like the NFT hype cycle, web three, mm-hmm. what it's, it's like, it was the golden child in the media's eye. We could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. It's about to hit 5K, like, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And um, as somebody who's been in the blockchain space since 2017 and dealt with like massive trauma from Bitcoin crashing Oof. Um, from thousand um back of what, 2019 like it was funny to me to come enter back into the space cuz I, I did leave the space for a while to come back in and then like it was just like this like weird pop culture american horror story version of web3 where i was like what the fuck is going on here like and so i'm like a recovering nihilist like my outlook on life is is very like over logical i think so I'm like observing this as I'm like entering back into the world and I just feel this like crazy divide between like what I feel about what's happening and what I see other people or what at least what I'm perceiving other people are feeling about what's happening in the space, which is like over positive. We're gonna fix the world. Web3 is gonna fix everything, we can do it all. And it's just like, you unrealistic like <laughs> asshole. <laughs> <laughs> And and that was, that was really what drove me to the start thinking in this way. And like, that's kind of like that paragraph is saying like, hey, like we have the capability to change the world. Like, obviously, we're all here and interested in Web3, if except for maybe the people who are obsessed with like making money off NFTs, like the people who are here interested in the technology and to build this new world that takes us away from the capitalist life that has like driven us to want an alternative. Essentially, mm-hmm. you know, that's like the summarized version of it. It's just like, there's a world that we're all capable of building. Maybe not now, maybe not in the next 50 years, but we're capable of building it. And most of the population on Earth, like, will never even recognize that this other world can exist. Like, they're not able to. Like, you know, like how hard is it for all of us to explain this technology to people in our lives? And so... I was just thinking about this amazing opportunity that's at our feet and we're wasting it on monkeys, you know?
0: <laughs> yes. Um, man, uh, there, there, there's a lot there. Um, I, I think what, what, what comes up for me is, um, certainly us being part of web three sort of like, it imbues a certain uh, optimism, you know, for the future, right? Like, yes, we have this tool and we can use it for good. We could actually create much more equitable systems with, with this tool right here. We have the potential to build a utopia, you know? And also, we might not. <laughs> oh, that, you, exactly. you know what I'm saying? You know like, Exactly. It, it, it's sort <laughs> of like... I get that um we have to I think to create or to imagine new worlds we need optimism, absolutely. but then at the same time, to too much optimism causes you to not think of like the present or not critiquing where the trajectory is heading would you would you agree yeah. with that
1: bully um actually that that's kind of a part of it. I think I don't remember where in the essay, but I think I referenced like the idea of like not really critiquing ourselves in the moment and like, kind of like thinking about the fact of like what we're capable to get to the next step, like micro goals, right? Like there's always a grander vision, but like the micro goals are the way that you get there. It's how any of us get anything done. And at the time, like, you know, I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. Um, I'd say now it feels so different. Like now, what is it about a year and a half later? Yeah. Maybe two years later, we'll call it a year and a half. And I would say there's so many people heads down, focused on trying to actually create products and experiences like that can take take, like this technology further to the world. Like that was not happening back then, Mm. in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that we live in a really interesting era. Um, And I don't know if people in the past also said that about their own eras. You know, imagine our parents saying, oh, we live in this like renaissance, you know. Um, I I truly believe we do. You know, with with the advent of like Web3 systems, you know, AI, machine learning systems and, and how we are, we are. Sort of like at the, uh, uh, at the start of this like new trajectory for, for, for humankind, you know. Uh, maybe that's too grandiose, but, but I truly believe it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was talking, I was talking to, um, to, you know, a close friend last night about this. And, it, and I was like, man, this is truly interesting, you know, like what's happening around us, you know. Uh, and all of this like technology sort of like converging, you know. Um, yeah, and one can imagine both utopian scenarios and dystopian scenarios at the same time. You know? Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, um,
1: that's that's kind of it, though. That's pretty much exactly where the idea of like the the like non objective reality comes from. Like I think, like when I was thinking about it here, it was like it's like I, I think there's a Henry David Thoreau quote that I had heard in a book that I was. Audio booking. Do you say you're reading a book when it's an audiobook? Because I do, and I don't know if that's <laughs> just reading. <laughs> reading. reading through your
0: audience. Yeah.
1: Reading it. And um, it was just uh what was it? It was uh I used to have it written on my whiteboard too. It was um, oh, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. Oh. Simply enough. So good. Yeah. We love the transcendence, yeah. Right? And like I think that was also it was around the time that I heard that quote and it's just the idea of like I'm looking at this amazing optimistic world that I also want and like I want to build towards with the web with blockchain technology but when I take a look outside of it and like who I am as like another part of me which is like The part that maybe is more of like an artist, a fine artist, or maybe the part of me that's more of like a consumer capitalist, right? Because there's so many identities to all of us. Yes. Those people all see the use of Web3 is so different. And so I was kind of like battling between myself being like there is, that's why I was like, there's no, like, there's no, what was it, the quote? There's like no um, objective reality when you're living inside of it because- just just from there I'm like there's three things that I like there's three ways that I feel about this one topic um and like you know I think Einstein had a bunch of shit about objective reality not actually existing because we're experiencing it um and that you can never know what somebody else is experiencing that's what Henry Henry David Thoreau was saying in that quote you look at a tree and there's no way that you and I are looking at that tree in the same way even though we're in the same time and same place like same place standing literally like we're never going to know what each other is actually seeing which is crazy so that's like the backbone of the whole thing it's like or like maybe that's a philosophical backbone of it mm. is that how can we be so assured of this like successful future for web 3 um when we're all only looking at it from one point of view that was kind of how it felt at the time
0: yeah oh my gosh yeah the, the, the maybe maybe we can linger in that for a moment here um yeah i i think it really it stood out to me when you said that there is no objective reality because literally all of us have our own realities in our heads you know um it, we we are essentially hallucinating you know our own realities um and and my reality might be different from your reality niche you know and from like you know say jade's reality you know in, in the chat you know possibly full of cats, you know, that's Jade's reality. But, boom, boom, um, it, it, and so, and so if that is true, if that is true, then is, is it even possible to have like a shared reality? Maybe it is. Um, no, no, please. I don't know.
1: That was, that was, that was the exploration.
0: <laughs> that was the exploration. Yeah.
1: That's exploration. I think, I think, um, well, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where this was that I first found it, but I think I've become obsessed with the idea that there is an there's an idea that like we have more senses available to us than we can use. And Earth is actually the way that we experience Earth is not even close to the way that Earth actually is like nature um, and things like that. Like, right? maybe this is like a conspiracy theory I heard once, but like. That has stuck with me so hard because like, you know, it's just that like, we literally like, even if like all of the humans on earth had the exact same experience, Mm. because for some reason we had some shared brain situation going on neural network thing, then all of the animals on earth maybe also were having a different experience. So still you don't have like a shared experience for all the beings that are alive. And in in like, at least for like the world that we know, like, it's like no matter what, there's never going to be a shared experience for every living being. Like, there's just absolutely no way.
0: Hmm. But would you say that maybe just building on top of what you just said, would you say that maybe we're inching closer to a sort of a shared um, reality or shared sort of consciousness via the Internet and via these tools that we're using?
1: Yes, but it, it takes me to like big brother vibes and like, it's more like we're having a forced shared reality rather than like one that we choose. But yeah, I think, I think we are moving towards it. Who knows if it ends up good or not. Yeah.
0: Us. Yeah. Right. Like what would it look like if in the future our shared realities and our brains are all sharing the same thing? I wonder if we would lose our individuality or our sense of self or maybe there is a bigger maybe. self. I don't know
1: yeah oh, okay, so that's interesting i mean when when I think of like movies and you know all of the great movies that I' would just explored, what happens when humans leave Earth, what happens a thousand years in the future, there is the idea of where you live in like these uniforms, mono uniforms like live very routine scheduled lives. um people are happier though, because they don't seem to have to deal with. Uh, I guess outliers. They have they have a very specific kind of life, and it's a shared experience because it's controlled. Now that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I don't know. I don't remember what you said. That yeah. was what I was thinking when you. No, 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 yeah. no. No, no.
0: <laughs> I, I think it builds on like what 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 I said. Um, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> Matthew says in the chat. He has no idea I was supposed to, that he was supposed to smoke before this episode cut down. (laughs) I'm dead. That's a compliment, I I would say. Yeah, for Um, sure. (laughs) Shamanic says that somehow he was totally prepared for this eventually. Um, Let's go. Yeah.
1: But, you know, okay. (laughs) How
0: about, how about, how about we sort of like reel reel it in just a little bit? um, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. um, I would love to talk to you, Nish, about your creative process because this um, this project, the Doom Generation, is 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 maybe if I could like piece it together, it's a website, it's a film, it's an NFT, it's got music on it, you wrote on it, you know, um, and so I would like to maybe like talk about you know the, the nuts and bolts of like the work that goes into it. But maybe before mm-hmm. that, if I can play that video from your website and we could all watch oh, it together. Yeah? Yeah?
1: Okay. yeah, that'd be cool. Cool,
0: cool, cool. Yo, that was fire.
1: <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that. In... Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome.
0: Um, let's talk aesthetics. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, on the film itself and also on the website, I noticed like, um, uh, a lot of like grain, a lot of like sort of like grit, um, uh, as well as like the video also possibly you've, you, you probably used film or, or something, um, for that. Um, and I also love the tone and the colors, the fully saturated colors that you use. Um, what's your thinking behind it?
1: Yeah. Where do I start? There's two things I, I want to talk about because I want to talk about my creative process, but I also want to talk about a very heavy influence for mm. this specific project that led me to that. Yes. Um, but for me, like, yeah, I so in my film um, or in my photography work, everything's on film, um, hundred percent of the time. I I can't get away from it ever since I picked up a film camera, and um, that's kind of my style for photography is to kind of alternate reality everything by color grading um things to kind of look in the way that you're seeing it in that video um kind of just how I see things so it's been really cool I've been practicing photography for about five years like seriously and to kind of like finally be able to like express like what I'm actually seeing things as like to know how to like replicate that is fire um and for the film though I shot everything on super bright. Um, oh, that's what which, it yeah, yeah, so that's the The grain is bare. And and I kind of added the grain on the site to kind of just compliment the grain from the video and also just grain in general. Low-key, after working with Peace um, on Chaos last year, he got me, like, I was already into grain, but then, like, he's just, like, always putting grain on everything. And it's so good. And I'm like, it's just, like, there all the time. Like, I'm always thinking of him and just, like, more grain. So yeah. But like I think um the look of this it's funny because when I looked at my normal site, my my studio website, and then I looked at the Doom site, I realized that there was like some kind of similar visual language between the two, which is totally not intended. And it was the first time before I realized like, oh, maybe you have some kind of visual language in your like web development that you didn't realize that you had. So, like, that was actually kind of sick to realize because of it, mm. but, like, but yeah, um, honestly, like the design of the site was me just like fucking around and trying to figure out how to push everything I knew how to do to like some current and crazy extreme, and then just going, you know what this all this all works really well together. I'm just gonna leave it like that. I like it, And like, because I can be a perfectionist, being a product designer, like on top of doing like more creative brand things like you have to make everything pixel perfect and it's for a purpose, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is like my way to release off of all of that and like be like, no, it doesn't need to be perfect. The audience is whoever the fuck wants to find this. I don't care. They're not like using an app. And so it's just out of that mindset I'm usually in when I do those kinds of projects. Um, But okay, so this, uh, so the inspo, uh, uh, the inspo I want to talk about, the heavy inspo is like, it's probably the biggest thing about this outside of the philosophical aspect, like on the visual side. So there is a movie called The Doom Generation by a director called Greg Orkai, and he made this movie in the early 90s, but in 94, 95, and it's part of a trilogy called the Teenage Apocalypse Trilogy, which is like all these movies from the early 90s, just kind of like punk apocalypse, like abandoned kids, like just doing wild shit. Um, and kind of talking to like the economic downturn, I think that happened in the early nineties, um, Clinton, stuff like that. So, um, this movie is wild. So when I found out about this movie, this is what sparked me visually for the photo shoot, because the essay was the first thing Mm. from Doom Generation and I started, and it wasn't called Doom Generation, then it was just Doom. Then I happened to find this movie right at that time, because as a filmmaker, you're just Your job is to go on Criterion twice a week and, like, study a movie. Like, you just have to. And, like, I noticed that the main character looked exactly like Uma Thurman's character from Pulp Fiction. I was like, whoa, that's huge. And so I kind of got into it. And immediately I found this, like, article talking about the Doom Generation versus Pulp Fiction. They came out in the same year. And they both have the same exact subject matter. So the Doom Generation is very similar to Pulp Fiction in regards to like talking to people who are like on the fringes, like kind of like punk, like anti everything. But when you watch them both, what's wild is the Doom Generation makes Pulp Fiction look like some pseudo fake wannabe version of like trying to be a rebel. Um, of course, no hate on Pulp Fiction. We all love that movie, but like, it really does feel so fake and almost like trying to be something um, beyond what it actually is capable of when you watch it in comparison to Doom Gen, which is what I keep calling it. And so what happened was I started in my head comparing Doom Generation to like the reality I was experiencing in Pulp Fiction was all those like a-holes and Web3 who were like being like the future is so bright, we can do whatever. And it was like the popified version of it. And that was kind of how the whole thing started forming mm-hmm. in my head. Um, the colors and stuff, all the inspo came from the Doom Generation movie. It's very specifically like, aesthetic if you look up screenshots from it and stuff.
0: That's so fascinating. That's so fascinating. I definitely would love to watch that. Uh, Doom Generation. By whom,
1: again? Um, Greg Erakai, Araki. A R A K I. It's really hard to find it. Mm. Um Is it on YouTube like God- you? you can look like I've tried to find like Criterion had it for like a little bit and then they took it off and you can't even like buy a DVD of it. Like this is when you really miss Blockbuster because they probably have it. True. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. But um but no, um you could probably find it if you look really hard. It's there's trailers and stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can see like the shirt.
0: Yeah. yeah, Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. It's, uh, okay. That's on my to watch list for sure. And that sounds like a a major influence in in this work. Oh, wait. Yeah. Not only in film, but also like philosophically as well. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's cool. It's like, now you can see already that was like, like, it's just cool because it's like all these different things I'm into, like really naturally inform this project, like I didn't know that the filmmaking, like, studying I was doing was going to have any effect on this essay that I was writing about Web 3. Like, who could ever see that connection coming? Mm-hmm. And, like, that, that was what was super enjoyable about this, was, like, it all felt organic, like, some kind of experience was just happening within, like, a four or five-month period. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, yeah. Uh, well, what, what I do appreciate about this project is that, you know, not only did you did you pour your thoughts into an essay, you also built a world around it, you know? And, and using all of your creative, like, facilities, right? Um, directing, you know, filmmaking, photography, coding, you know, obviously strategy as well and how to sort of release it and how to, like, roll it out. And to me, that is very much an embodiment of an art, a boundless well, how, do, how did you frame it? Like a boundless expression or a boundless creativity, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so what was the process like from ideation to execution? Did you start off with like, well, I would like to think that you started with a simple idea and then you sort of like complexified it over time. Um, but I want to hear like, what was the process like from start to finish?
1: Yeah. Um, like, in regards to so, once the art kind of got made, um, oh, there is an important part of it. Um, the last part of the process was the music, which yes came from. So I'm lucky to have some really talented friends who are musicians, and I've known them for years. They're some of my best friends, and um, I. So one is named Pete Rango, and he's a producer. He's worked with. Tons of people, and um, and then my the other person, the guitarist on the track, was my really good friend Cass, who's just like the sickest guitarist ever. Um, and I kind of just showed them some sample tracks of some like, I, I I also like keep playlists on my Spotify for like all the future movies that I'm going to make, and I like am creating all the best for them now. <laughs> it's cool. I, I, I love I did that to for-
0: I would love to uh, <laughs> listen to that playlist that you have
1: whoa Maybe I could can, can share, share it, it someday yeah, yeah I can do that and and I showed them the playlist and they kind of understood that there was a certain mood and a certain tone based off of like the the sad neo r&b vibe I was kind of giving them and so they they kind of just went on some riffs and ended up making that track for me and it was like truly perfect mm-hmm. um accept the tone so so that was nice and that was like kind of unplanned I kind of just was like talking to them on the phone and then it just happened um because for a while it was going to be a voiceover and I recorded a voiceover with my own voice and I was like absolutely not, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> oh man you know you sound weird to yourself and and maybe I eventually thought that it just didn't feel feel right maybe Maybe the music did more of the like tone setting than like like reading the words would when you can just read the words as well from the like lyric. I'm not the lyrics of subtitles. (laughs) Uh, It was a back and forth. It was a back and forth, like last minute decision to take the voice out. But um, but yeah, so but after the creative process, which kind of happened from like the start of the article where I just like didn't know what the F I was doing from like February of that year till maybe like August of that year was kind of the whole process of making the art slowly and then I told myself that I would not be allowed to release this until I learned how to code and react so that I could code my own connect wallet button on a website because I've been putting off learning how to do like eat scaffold and all that shit and <laughs> and so cool that was actually a huge reason why it never got released for a year because I kept being like, nope, you're not allowed to. Like, you have to learn this. So then the problem was when I started learning it, they were all like, the, it's just so cool because there wasn't the tech I needed available when I started the project. But when I finally released it, there, was, there were tools available from people in Web3 to release it the way I wanted. Mm. So... I had originally minted the whole thing on Manifold as a custom contract. And low key, that contract's still there. I need to burn those tokens because there's like all mm-hmm. of these, like the same people just sitting on a contract. And it sat there for a while. I like did that. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to be able to pull this. I tried Artiva. I was like, absolutely. can't do this. It's not giving me the customization I want. And then it didn't occur to me to build my own site in the whole first part of this. And then... I thought about maybe getting somebody to help me build a site. But then I was like, no, that goes against your one thing. You have to learn how to do it yourself. Wow. And then, and then I don't know, I kind of gave up. I tried all these options because of all the crazy shit I wanted to do at the, at the time. And then I dropped the project, didn't touch it for like six months. I probably didn't pay attention to it, maybe longer. Like Life went on. And then I picked it back up again because I was like, wait, like, I think I like saw a file or something and I was like, man, like I haven't even showed these photos on Instagram. It's been so long. Like, what am I doing? Like, this work is so good. And so you get that, like, you get that feeling. You're like, I just want people to see this. So Mm. my fire got lit on my ass. And in that time, so this is now 2022, Zora started putting out so many tools for Create. And I also just became friends with like a dev from Zora who was always telling me about shit that they were working on. So eventually I kind of like had a light bulb moment and was like, I don't need anybody else. I can finally just build my own site. I don't even need to learn how to do the connect wallet button and I can just use Zora's create tool to do all of this. And that was <laughs> so it's like, I guess it couldn't have happened. I mean, unless I sat and learned again, I still don't know React actually, but it's okay. <laughs> but the tools and so really it actually made me happier in a way because I know. I'll learn it when I need to, but that the space didn't have something creators needed to do a project like this, but within a year, those tools were there. Like that is so sick to me. Mm-hmm. And it's all antithesis of all the nihilistic thoughts I have about like everything that I'm addressing in the essay. It's like, fuck you, you're not actually going to do anything. And then it's like, look, like they're the whole reason I could release this. Mm. It's because you got built. It's just a really funny conundrum. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing.
0: Dude, I love it. It's like, um, it's... Okay, what's coming up for me is that it's both an act of like you, like, so, like self-sufficiency, learning stuff, learning the tools yourself so that you can actually articulate it through these tools and at the same time collaborating with other folks. Like, for example, the musician friend that you have, you know, who actually soundtracked the film um were there any other collaborations besides the musician and also the model um like, like who else did um, you collaborate with
1: well so yeah so the two musicians Cass and Peter Ringo and then savannah or she goes by vanilla tyne she was the model and she was somebody from back um from richmond virginia um, which is where I went to go do the shoot, who I I met during quarantine when I was quarantining there. And um, other than that, I mean, I'd say, I'd say like all of the dev friends I had who, who had to listen to me like real time, freak out and figure out like how to implement this are, are the real collaborators because um, they, Essentially, like every time I would reach out to uh, anybody uh, who was a friend that is a developer, they gave me the best option. They helped me find the best options that were out there at that time over that, you know, year and a half period. But at the end of it, um, Max, uh, he goes by OX Tranky on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yes. He uh, he helped me. uh, He helped me just like on the back end put in some stuff, uh, when there was kinks and, and I actually ended up finding a bug in Zora's code on accident and they had yeah. to like, and they fixed up this whole thing. And I was like, I'm officially a developer. I found a bug in code. Like I hey. can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the Zora, Zora create actually allows you to, um, create custom sites if and you can drop as many, uh, contracts of additions in there that you want. And it'll like, you can style the site up to a certain amount, just some CSS, nothing crazy, mm-hmm. but it's nice. It's like, And I was, I was originally going to link out to a separate site that was that Zora create kind of drop page and you weren't going to see it on the actual Doom site. But what happened was there was this bug that kept happening and I like tried, there was like 17 repos. And because of like being lucky and I had an open communication line with Zora through Max and um, Ian, who's like the smartest engineer alive, like it's just like, yo, like, can somebody like tell me if like I really suck at doing this, or if there's like something else going on? And they came back in like two hours, and they were like, there's a bu- there's a there's something that needs to get fixed, like there's a bug in the code. And I was like, oh my god. And then when they fixed that, though, I ended up not even using it, and I ended up going for iframes, customized iframes, and that's what helped. Max was helping me implement. Um, because I can make them or they appeared on the site. And I was like, ideally, I guess you don't want people to leave the site and you really want to close the experience. Like if the song's playing because they play the video in the background, they don't have to leave that page. It's just all there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really actually simple. Like tech wise, it's, it's just like a HTML, HTML, CSS, JS site with iframes, which like to any dev, they'd be like, that's mm-hmm. the simplest <laughs> shit. Out. Into, and you're not for that to, like, happen, which is, like, wild. Well, that yeah. is part of yeah. the
0: process, right? I, I think, I think yeah. that, that that's what it takes to actually build something step by step, brick by brick, you know? So, absolutely. And, and, you, and you know, you're, you're mentioning a lot of, like, coding language, JS, you know, JavaScript, um, uh, HTML, CSS, you know, um, which are essentially, like, all of the shit that we look at online are built on that you know javascript yeah. specifically you know <laughs> and you know i guess what comes up for me um in terms of coding um is that um i can see a future where coding is also a part of the artist's arsenal right like you know and and, and i truly believe that you know i i think lately i find myself having this like uh, renewed passion in, in coding. you know um I certainly know the basic languages, you know, HTML and all that stuff, CSS. Let's
1: go. Um, But I want to
0: learn JavaScript and I also want to learn Python. Like even though Python is not um, widely used for front end, I think um, that's something that could be used for like, I don't know, building games or worlds or or plugins, Um, you know, or back end stuff. Or Mm -hmm. AI even, like when I, when I look at like GitHub repos of like AI models, it's like they're all in Python, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, dude, like, I don't know, like, 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 do you agree that coding might be something or a language that we should all be fluent in, or at least have an understanding in to sort of like help create or express yourself even more?
1: I think it's natural. Yeah. I mean, as we know, the world is moving online. So, so as a designer, the only way I can really answer this is as a designer, because it's something that gets brought up a lot now. Like I'm literally staring at a book um, that I've been reading over the past like six months. That's about creative coding for designers specifically, because the question, this is a cool book because it has uh, essays from teachers a bunch of teachers who teach creative coding classes they're kind of like the people the professors who come out with like all of the creative coding languages over the last 20 years and like they they do their take on just like the philosophical question like is a des- like should a design is a designer good enough these days if they don't know how to code mm. like and I think like the answer is the answer is no like you don't trap to know but you're going to be limited. And so I think that transcends to to everybody now. It's like, I think even just learning how to read code, mm-hmm. you don't even know how, like even just being able to understand it and edit it because that's how I I learned code. I didn't know how to write it. I would just open up Dreamweaver and like- oh, I Oh, Dreamweaver,
0: like, oh my God. You're OG, bro. <laughs> it's
1: like Dreamweaver. And for anybody who doesn't know, that's like, That's like the predecessor to VS Code now. I don't know if that's all coding. And it's like, and I would just slow, it's like MySpace, right? Everybody who would put like little style tags on their profile on MySpace. It's like, it's been there for a while. It's just like, it's just like, it's not until it interferes with you being able to do something that people are probably going to learn, but it's going to interfere with a lot of people being able to do something. And I think you bringing up AI is, is the best way. Like the first time I went to a collab notebook mm. to use somebody's. I don't even know what you call it. Like they they made a thing for me to do AI to do uh, AI sh-
0: with. Let, let's pause here. <laughs> collab. Can you can you can you define what a collab notebook is for for people who are not familiar?
1: I don't know. But yeah, it is. It's it like a service or like a side platform of Google. That the only way I've experienced it is that people coded Python and they will essentially create a way or algorithm for you to do what Mid Journey does in one prompt click now. It was like the older, well, it's not older, people still do it, but it's like you have to enter in a prompt, you have to enter in parameters, and you could essentially get a set of images back that was AI. Um, And... The thing is, is that you could only really find them from a friend who might have access to that notebook yeah. or codes in Python. Like it wasn't open source. It's like, and you have to pay Google a lot of money to get like server power, like the Tesla server they do, yeah. level. So yeah. use it, And it's like, it's not as good as mid journey on the server power side, but you could probably have way more control over stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. totally. Thank you for that. It's uh, to me, a, a notebook is almost like a Google doc, but with like code on it. You just like press run, 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 run.
1: You're right. just like yeah, I hope you do not tell me I can't do this because I typed one wrong thing. Like please don't yeah. tell me it's wrong.
0: Anyway, <coughs> um, sorry sorry for, like, for interrupting you. You you were you're about to share something.
1: I don't even know. But no, like I mean, I think that was an important thing to define because like that's that's just it. That oh yeah, like as you were saying AI, like that's that's already a barrier now. Like even just um Stable Diffusion, mm-hmm. like not that it's necessarily code, but it's it's in that family of understanding technology beyond like the norms And if you want to create in that way, like you don't have to, but if you want to create whatever like the newest thing is, well, that's what the newest thing is moving into. Like we're at the point where coding, coding is involved, and of course, like creative coding, which has been there for forever, is sick as it's. I want to learn how to creative code so bad, like I'm slowly slowly getting there but like i think that's like like the coolest art form digitally I, I think so too i agree with you
0: i remember a time yeah. when i was um so i have this idea for a website for a music project and i want the website the look and feel of it to be m- that of a command line interface where there's just like mm-hmm. you're greeted with just like a cursor blinking at you and possibly like a few <laughs> commands you know um and so I, I, I asked ChatGPT, please build me a website that looks like a command line interface. Show me the code. <laughs> Give me steps how to do it. Right? And it, you know, it, it outputted code. It explained to me what the code is. And then last, the last bullet point was like, um... The, this needs sort of like uh, an, an experienced developer to deploy. You know, like I recommend that you work with an experienced developer. And so. Oh,
1: Imagine a robot telling you that you can't do something.
0: And dude, well, that's exactly, that's my takeaway there. It's like, I can't do it by myself. Can I just like copy paste this code and deploy it? Um, but that's um,
1: actually insane. Yeah.
0: It's funny. Um Going back to, um, to the Doom generation, like, like project, um, I I would like to hear, you know, are there any sort of like takeaways that you've sort of like gotten from it? Um, were there challenges along the way? Um, what have you learned, you know, not only with yourself in your creative process, but also like the world?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Takeaways um, was so uh, another another influence was like, like the way that, that Sloms releases projects as like super ex- experiential or like pock, um, if you're familiar with them, like, mm. I started realizing in mischief even like oh, mischief. It, I started realizing yeah, like, I didn't want to put out art without it being experienced, because the idea of something being ingested digitally means that you don't get the chance as much to explain the context with how fast everything moves. Like we're digesting faster, we're consuming faster or sorry, we're creating faster and we're consuming faster. Mm. So that was also my hesitancy in even putting this project out. I was like, suck it. Nobody deserves this because they're not going to take the time to even like get into this. And that's just an artist's plight. But mm. like, but that take the biggest takeaway I had from it was that I never wanna ever Put my art out without it having been consumed in an experience like that, because just how I feel—that's the only way I know how to express it. And through whatever mediums that is, or you know, disciplines, cool. So that was the biggest takeaway. Also, just that the biggest takeaway from people's responses was that I didn't realize how novel it was to drop something like this because it was all I had been. It was just all I had known, like to do, and. I was like, what? Like, I can't believe that people are so excited about a drop like this because it was always the intention to drop it like this. So I I was like, okay, so people aren't really thinking this way. How can I build on this more the next time I drop if, like, this is such a novel concept? Like, you, you're you so lucky as an artist if you ever get to, if you get to do that. Yeah. Like, it's a pride. Well, um, so I'm kind of trying to think of it in that way for what the next, the next thing I'm going to do. But, um, uh, there was something else. Uh, what were the other things you said? Like the challenges and the, yeah. what was the other
0: challenges along the way, or what have you learned, you know, with me and yourself or other people or the world?
1: Oh, right. Well, I learned that I'm still a recovering nihilist because. <laughs>
0: <We're not really> <laughs> <nihilists>. <laughs> we need we, nihilists.
1: We cannot all be positive all the time. We can't. Yeah, we really can't. And I'm. I put myself in the realm of like Sylvia Plath and like Van Gogh. Like to suffering is to live, or right. to suffer is to live. I don't think I can get out of it. I think that's a backbone to just the way I approach art or creative expression. So I just learned that so late and I solidified it for myself because I thought that that was a period of time where I was just like being extra emo, and then I realized like no, like you are just always going to be kind of emo. Like it's okay. Yeah. Yeah no totally
0: <laughs> dude same i'm always gonna be emo that that's it you just embrace yeah, right. it you know it, it's part of you yeah i get I um, yeah yeah it's okay so wow great takeaways there we got a question in the chat okay. um but before we get to audience questions um let's do a quick lightning round So I have a few questions here for you. First question. Knowing what you know now, what will you tell your younger self? Fuck imposter syndrome. Love it. Paint a picture of what the future looks like. 1984. 1984. 1984. Okay, now I'm curious.
1: Please expound. (laughs) It's the nihilist to me. It's the future where we're kind of living in a controlled environment and Big Brother is watching over us all.
0: Bro, yes. that is scary oh as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> Third question. What are you currently spinning?
1: Oh, oh my God. The new Jadu Heart album, Derealized. Like, it's kind of like, I haven't stopped listening to it all day, every day since it came out last Monday. Mm. It's like, it's their fourth studio album. They're my favorite band and they haven't put an album out in three years. And this is like the most complete body of work that they've done that feels like a whole experience. Like they've grown, they've really grown up. It's, it makes you want to dance and it makes you want to cry at the same time. Cry dancing. Can't I love it. Cry dance. Yeah. So what's the artist's um, name and the album again? Uh, Jadu Heart, J A D U Heart, two okay. words. Albums, Derealized. realized, um, so good. I'm oh, you know, I'm also listening to. Um, uh, Ryuichi Sam, uh, Sakamoto just yes. put out an album also. It's So Sad. It's so good. It's so sick. St- so I think he got like re diagnosed with cancer too. Yeah, like I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. And you can like feel it. It's so melancholic. It's so beautiful and also so
0: heart, heartfelt, you know, um, truly, truly, truly a great piece of work there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, what's something that's bringing you joy recently?
1: Legos. Legos. (laughs) (laughs) I bought, I bought like a big bulk, like eight pound bag of like random Legos over the holidays. Uh, I think it was like on Black Friday, and I've been trying to find ways to get off my Adderall and to do other stuff. And I started playing Legos again, and it's like been it's been dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: amazing Legos. Yeah, I mean, dude, I yeah, I I have a friend who's super into Legos, and yeah, it's like when you, when you meet people who are into Legos, they're really into Legos, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, like, like, I've been building houses since I was a kid, like three-tier, you know, mansions.
0: Dang. <laughs> Hell
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question for the lightning round. And, and feel free to take your time with this. Um, this is the, the, uh, the, the theme of, of this season. In your own words, what is 21st century creativity?
1: Hmm. What is 21st century creativity? It's, um, I almost feel like it's undefined. Again, bringing up that term non disciplinary. Mm -hmm. Um, I think 21st century creativity circles around community rather Mm -hmm. than the artist Mm -hmm. itself. Um, and I think it's about sharing Mm -hmm. more than it is about, uh, I guess, documenting your life or, or documenting. It is about documenting your life, but it's like nothing matters as much without sharing with the community as it has before. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's the backbone of being a 21st century creative. Um, And I also think um, understanding how to do things like code and like having more technical proficiency is 100% part of it.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I agree. That's well said. Let's move on to uh, audience questions. We got a question from Jack. Um which I will read to you, what's a project idea slash concept that you haven't necessarily worked on yet, but know that you will at some point uh when the seeds begin to sprout, in other words, what seeds are being planted right now from a creative standpoint
1: oh my god there's like there's like a few of them <laughs>
0: Come for um uh,
1: there's there's my first short film mm-hmm. that Is going to happen for sure. Eventually I've started writing the scripts like last year, slow roll, slow roll on it, but that's a hundred percent happening. Um, and it's about, it's about like mental health and like just somebody I knew in my life. And like, I just try to advocate for the lack of just anything that this country does really for people who have mental health issues. Um, and there's one, there's, There's also the next, you could call it, I guess, like the successor to Doom. Just whatever this kind of expression of like a drop like this. um, I'm going to keep doing uh, maybe, you know, once a year or something like that. It's called Lust Life. And that's all I'll say about that. But that'll happen probably by the end of the year, maybe. Maybe it'll be longer. It's going to be more about my filmmaking, though, and maybe 3D. Yeah. Yeah
0: lovely man i'm excited dude i'm excited um please keep us in the loop um, um i have another question from kevin um, what advice would you give to designers slash artists wanting to learn to code what languages to prioritize or any learning experiments slash processes you'd recommend using me as an example I played around with p5.js for purely experimental aims, but eventually want to start building functional sites, currently just using Webflow.
1: That's cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely want to do your basic stack, HTML, CSS, um, to get started, and then JavaScript. But uh, these days, a lot of uh, people are building um, applications with React which is essentially it's a uh, it's a library inside of javascript but it doesn't work with javascript so you would have to know that whole language but you have to learn javascript in order to learn react it's kind of crazy but in regards to resources i will point you towards the absolute best resource anybody's ever made for learning how to code and yes. that is twitter um ox trinky Hold on, I'm going to find it right now. Actually, I might not be able to. Um, So he went on a 100-day journey to learn how to code, which is insane because he was doing it to become like a smart contract developer. But he recorded absolutely everything that he did and learned within those 100 days. And he could do all the resources. He like lays it out. It's like absolutely insane. and. It's, um, it's what I was learning to start learning React. Oh, here's the, here it is. I'm going to post this in the chat. Um, okay. it's dot x y z t r a n q u i dot xyz. But I would go there and go to his daily logs and his hundred days of learning. And he gives you all the like sites to go learn things on and everything. That's what I use.
0: That's a great resource. And, and niche is this. Specifically for JS or, or, or is it more like solid, Solidity, like smart contract programming?
1: He literally started HTML. Like he had never coded a day in his life oh, shit. when okay. he started it.
0: That's no, he
1: learned a lot in 100 days. It's, he's, just, he's really smart. Um, so yeah, like it'll have anything. So you can jump in like to wherever like you already know. You could figure it out and then you can just continue from there. Pretty mm-hmm. much. That's what I did. Amazing. Which is sick.
0: Wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful. Thank you for that tip. And definitely, we'll check out Trankey.xyz. Maybe this is a good place to wrap up this conversation. Um, Fire. Niche, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. (laughs) I know that it's a Friday night where you're at. Well, it's a Friday night for all of us, Uh, but I truly appreciate you being here and your generosity. In sharing resources and insights and 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 everything, you know, your creative process. So um we happy. I appreciate you, dude. Um where can the audience find you?
1: Losing my ego everywhere that you have a handle on um, losingmyego.studio is my site. But Twitter is probably the main place to find
0: Twitter. Copy that at losing my ego. True. Losing my ego. Awesome. Thank you so much, Niche, again. Um, And also, thank you for everyone who have tuned in to the very first episode of Convo featuring Niche at Losing My Ego. Yo, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it to a friend. Massive thanks to Peace Note for the wonderful artwork. The Songcamp community for their unwavering support. This podcast is a Songcamp production, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mark Adito. Live conversations happen every first and third Fridays of the month, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.com songcamp. Follow Songcamp on Twitter for updates about Convo and upcoming episodes. Until next time, peace.